This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. And greetings to you, music lovers and thrill seekers and conversationalists and getting pent up and getting roaring and ready to go and a little frustrated out there. All of you, great to have you with us. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network, eagerly anticipated each and every day by millions who are cooped up. Folks, I get a sense. I don't, you know, I don't know. I follow my instincts, and I just have to share with you. It's based on nothing. It isn't based on any conversations with anybody. I'm feeling good about things right now. I, not the current status quo, but I mean the future. I'm, I'm feeling good. And it was just a couple days ago. You could talk to people that I know, if you could find out who they are. <laughs> we keep that a secret. So that they won't get hassled. But if you talk to people I know a couple of days ago, I could have, I, they, they would have told you that, that I was getting pessimistic that we weren't going to open by May 1st, that there were active efforts in place to prevent that from happening. You've got to admit, folks, there, there are people who want to profit from this shutdown uh, in many ways uh, politically because they haven't given up the dream of of uh, getting rid of Donald Trump. It just boggles my mind. You know, you want to talk about American unity. We all, everybody in this country, I mean, I mean, you get stragglers, nothing's ever going to be 100%, but if there was ever anything to unify around, it would be getting this country up and running. And, I mean, even, you know, even if you don't like it, people have to work. And even if you don't like the country, you have to have careers and opportunities, even if your career and opportunity is destroying America, you still have to be able to have an office to get up and go to work to do that. And I was, you know, it needs to be some kind of unity around reopening. And I think that there is, but there are stragglers. There are stragglers, some of them in the health medical community, uh, some of them in the political uh, community. But I just, I, I get the sense now that, that Everybody's down for this. This this can't go on. The sustainability of the of the status quo simply isn't. And I ha I have a sense that that we're moving finally in the in the right direction here. And I hope my instincts 
on this uh, are are right. As I just, I, I, you know, I've, I've tried to be guarded when I have had upbeat feelings. I've, I've tried to make sure that I don't go overboard either way in uh, in sharing things with you, realizing how deeply powerful and influential that I am. Uh, but I'm 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 taking the risk to tell you today that I I'm, I'm feeling good about about the prospects. I think. And part of what's making me feel good is that the it's a battle. It's a battle to overcome the naysayers. It's always a battle. It's a battle to overcome the people who want to maintain the status quo. And I think that is something else that that we are winning. Um, I'll give you some um, some examples. Trump has named the committee. 9,900 people on the committee. One of them is uh, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, never a Trump fan. He's been part of that crowd that think Trump's an idiot. He's made no bones about the fact that he thinks Trump is stupid. Uh, not IQ stupid, just you know, not there. But this morning, Mark Cuban was on the Fox News Channel. He said, I'm going to do all I can to help the president make this decision. I'm going to help him any way I can. I did a double take. That's not the kind of messaging we've been getting from Mark Cuban. Now, you might say, well, what, what, Rush, what does it matter what Mark Cuban thinks? Well, they, look, this, this is how the media operates. He's on TV, number one. He's on a TV called Shark Show. Number two, he's been anti-Trump, which makes him a very attractive figure to the media. He owns the Dallas Mavericks, the NBA. Um, he's got a high profile as a billionaire. So because a billionaire, he's automatically presumed to be brilliant and smart. And he's probably pro-choice. So you, you throw all that in with the anti-Trump stuff, and he's a very attractive figure to the drive-by media. And today he made it clear that he's going to do all he can to help the president make this decision regarding opening up the economy. And if you watch Cuban on Sharp Tank, I mean, he gets it. He's a good capitalist. He's a good entrepreneur. Uh, Understands how this stuff works. And it, it, it's the first time in a long time I've heard anybody outside the president's political sphere say that they wanted to help him. On television, publicly, it's a big deal. I'm sure he's getting destroyed on Twitter by people who think he's gone overboard or is a sellout. No one's offered to help Trump aside from uh, oh, I, yesterday's briefing. I had a lot of people, Mr. Snurdly, emailing me during the briefing. What is this with ventilators? For crying out loud, can we not start talking about reopening? Why do we keep talking about ventilators? The fact of the matter is we're okay on ventilators. We don't need nearly as many as we thought. Well, I'll tell you what that was yesterday, folks. When we didn't have enough ventilators, President Trump asked American CEOs to re their manufacturing, like the my pillow guy. The my pillow guy shut down manufacturing my pillows, and he started making medical supplies. I think he was making masks. It doesn't matter; could be wrong. General Motors stopped manufacturing automobiles. Started manufacturing ventilators. A lot of CEOs retooled. 
to meet the emergency. Yesterday was a thank you. They did it. They retooled. They stepped up. They totally remade their businesses in an emergency after a request from the president. It was wildly successful. The president had them in yesterday in a Rose Garden briefing to say thank you. To honor them, to acknowledge their efforts, and to give thanks to what to them for what they did. I mean, it made total sense to me. I'm like I'm like a lot of people. I'm a little worn out hearing about ventilators, but I understand why he did it. And then the rest of the briefing. It was one of the first briefings we have not heard from uh, Team Scarf, and it was what uh, briefing we did not hear from Dr. Fauci. It was strictly with the, the president of the media, which is always enlightening and fun. Um, here's another thing. Do you know how much money Disney is losing every day? When I, now, Bob Iger, if you recall, Bob Iger, media loves Bob Iger. Bob Iger ran Disney, you know, Mr. Mickey, Mr. Mickey Mouse. Um, of course, they would have to love Iger because in many cases he is their boss. Oh, yeah, Goose, Go- Goose Gossage has even come out in favor of Trump. Goose Gossage, who, folks, this guy... Goose Gossage used to be an environmentalist, leftist, liberal like you can't believe. And he is fed up with the attacks on Trump. I have details of that. Coming. Just, there are signs out there that, that this is all headed in the right direction now. So Bob Iger shocked everybody. They, they knew he was going to retire at some point. There was even some talk some months ago that Iger would seek the Democrat presidential nomination. I mean, everybody at some point was going to be the Democrat nominee. Because they knew plugs isn't the answer. They knew they had to beat Trump. So they're looking for attractive people. So Iger was mentioned. Even any fellow into it, he played along with it as though it might happen. But it never did. He wasn't going to do that. So he retires from Disney in a shocking move. Everybody knew it was going to happen. But he retired a year, 18 months before the succession plan dictated it. He was going to become chairman of board. And uh, some new guy... That nobody really had heard of became the CEO. Then the shutdown happened. Then the coronavirus hit. Disney is losing $30 million a day. This is unsustainable. I don't care what Bob Iger or anybody in the Disney executive suite's politics are. Meaning, if they are part of the cabal at once, Trump gone. They are not going to sit there and have Disney destroyed to pull that off. $30 million a day, you might say. How the heck are they losing that much? Look what shut down the theme parks. And it's not cheap to get into one of those. The theme parks all over the world are shut down. Disney has cruise ships. Ha! Who wants to get on one of those right now? They're all in dock. Disney owns ESPN. There isn't any programming. There is no live sports program. Other people playing tiddlywinks. Nobody wants to watch. They are hemorrhaging subscribers to ESPN. They were before this all happened. Before this all happened, Disney... ESPN, ABC, 
was thinking about getting back into NFL televised games. They wanted the Thursday night package, maybe even the Monday night. They wanted to go back to the old-fashioned one. ABC did Monday night football. They were prepared to pay out the wazoo for it. They wanted to try to convert Monday night football into the game of the week taking it away from NBC's Sunday Night Football. They were prepared to break the bank to go, now that's all out the window. And the NFL realizes, you know what? Their rights packages, their deals with TV networks, all were coming up between now, 2021, 2022. You realize the networks may be looking at having to pay the NFL a lot less for rights to televise based on what if there are no fans in the stands? What, what, what? The, the, the landscape is simply unsustainable for everybody, not just the small business people whose lives may be in the process of being destroyed, whose dreams may be ruined. It's the big guys as well. $30 million. It was a story in the New York Times. It's an estimate. $30 million a day. Theme park closures, cruise ships docked, movie theaters, and movies. No big openings, no red carpets, no big promo deal, no interviews, no stars, no stars out doing anything. The sports that would have been televised and broadcast by... ESPN. And the headline of the story, Bob Iger returns to fight for Disney's life. It can't go on. It is unsustainable. And this story from Breitbart, crowd gathers outside Ohio Statehouse to protest coronavirus lockdown. A large number of protesters gathered outside the Ohio Statehouse again on Monday. This story is a couple days old. To make their voices heard during the press conference held by Governor Mike DeWine and the Lieutenant Governor John Husted and Ohio Department of Health Director Dr. Amy Acton. A protest came amid the stay-at-home order due to COVID-19, to which many Ohio residents have voiced opposition. Throughout the gathering, chance of facts, not fear. And Ohio's Acton's Gotta Go, O-H-I-O, Acton Gotta Go, could be heard from within the meeting room and throughout the microphones via TVs. There were signs that read, Open Ohio, we want our rights back, and my inherent rights don't end where your fear begins. Now, as of Monday, the Ohio Department of Health reported 6,975 total cases of COVID-19 under the new method... There's a new method of calculating COVID-19 deaths, by the way, which is expanding the number of deaths because federal money is attached to each COVID-19 death for hospitals and states. The Centers for Disease Control's expanded case definition of probable infections. More than 2,000 people have been hospitalized, 613 admitted to ICU. 274, these are Ohio numbers, 274 have died. People say, okay, look. It's a tragedy. We've shut down economic activity for over a month for 274. Some governors believe their states are ready to reopen. The head of the CDC says Forbes magazine has a list of states and dates that they are ready to reopen. Some of them are this month. We don't know if those are solid dates. They're probably flexible and and uh, and and we'll move. And then there's even this Dr. Anthony Fauci 
sees path for sports to come back without fans. So Dr. Fauci again finding himself in the policy arena. Dr. Anthony Fauci said sports returning without fans is within the realm of possibility. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you believed or believe that the shutdown had as its primary purpose flattening the curve and the purpose of flattening the curve was to what? What do you think the objective was behind flattening the curve? Many people believe that the objective behind flattening the curve was to eliminate death. To reduce the number of people who die. And you could not be blamed if that's what you believe because that has been one of the overriding, uh, shall we say, mantras or narratives that the media has used that all of this that we're doing is designed to prevent as many people dying as possible. But flattening the curve... And if you don't know what that is, I'll explain it in a minute. Flattening the curve was never about reducing the number of dead. It was never about reducing the number of people who die. It had an entirely different objective. Many of you know it. Those of you who don't, sit tight. We'll be back with much more. The New York Times today. Snurdly, have you seen this story? Well, the headline, Trump wanted a radio show, but he didn't. Trump wanted a radio show, but he didn't want to compete with Limbaugh. President Trump said he envisioned a radio show running two hours a day during this period of time. Get the word out. And he would do it were it not for the risk of encroaching on Rush Limbaugh. He didn't want to compete with it. This is an amazing story. The obligate, there's an obligatory two snarky paragraphs which tell lies about me. But they, it's the New York Times. They have to be in there. That's what I mean by obligatory. But you know what it indicates is, what this story does indicate, that probably Donald Trump is one of the few who could fill my shoes. Proper training and proper proper uh, instruction, I, I can't see that. We'll take, <laughs> we'll take a brief break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Man, oh man, did I get... Oh, you think there is unity out there? What are you smoking? You think there's... And then this person goes all through the list of opposition. Globalists like the Democrat Party, the Chi-Coms, United Nations, the World Health Organization. They're not going to help us. They're not, Well, of course not. I'm not talking about international enemies. I'm not talking about unity with international enemies. And I'm not talking about unity with the Democrats. I know not one Democrat has offered to help Trump, but that's not new either. No Democrats ever offered to help Trump do anything that would be beneficial to the country or to Trump. I'm talking about the unity of the American people. I'm talking about the fact that more and more... Look, Mark Cuban came out again thanking the president and offering to help. 
It's 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 that's that's one example. But I'm talking to the American people. When you see Disney losing 30 million a day, they can't go on this. I don't care how much they hate Trump and the executive suite. Uh, Look, I'll expand on this as the program unfolds. Also, there's a fascinating piece today. I know a lot of you people believe that this virus is a communist Chinese purposeful weapon. Admit it. Many of you people think this. I know it because I've had people say so. You have no doubt. Oh, yeah, I think there is doubt about it in some circles that it it was a... You know, some people playing around in the lab made a mistake. Or is it a purpose? I think there's another way of looking at this. Once Xi Jinping found out what he had, did he then use it to our detriment? A case could be made for that. Hang on. We'll do that. Hang on. Don't go anywhere. And I checked other emails during the break. There are a lot of people. God bless you. There are a lot of people who want uh, a health update. And... I may. The, good, the, the, the news is good. It's not that. It's just that I, I vowed not to become a cancer patient, either in my life, as, as much as I can avoid it, certainly not uh, on this program. But I know that there are millions of you praying along with, along with me, and I think they're working. So uh, before the program is over today, I will endeavor to give... Uh, the overall picture, big picture details, because it, it's 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 good news. As as I and I'm feeling very good. Uh, I'm, I'm back to feeling normal. The second phase has not resulted in any side effects in terms of the way I feel. There are some side effects that we're dealing with, but not not in not not the usual things you think about fatigue or uh, nausea. None of that. You know, you know, knock on for Mike, and none of that has happened. I have the Mark Cuban sound, but I want you to listen to it. And just to clarify, when I, when I when I talk about the unity, I'm not expecting the WTO to be on our side. I'm not expecting the Chicoms to be on our side. I'm not expecting our enemies to want us to rebound and 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 get our economy up and running. When the American people start demanding things, when the American when they start protesting in Michigan, start protesting in Ohio. When the American people made it clear they're getting tired of being fed up and that and, and when, they, when they start questioning the value of all of this. Maybe maybe unity is the wrong word. I don't I, because I'm not I don't want to give anybody the idea that I think Trump's enemies are being converted to anything here. That's not the uh, that's not my my point. Just saying it two weeks into this, everybody was docile and ready to sit down as long as necessary and follow the instructions of the experts and do whatever. And I was frustrated from day one of this. I've been frustrated since the first week. I've been questioning whether it was necessary, and I've alluded to this from the moment I was able to get back to behind the golden EIB microphone. I've been alerting, and I started telling you that we're going to have a debate because these models have not been right about anything yet. We're going to have a debate when this is all over as to whether the shutdown was necessary. And I want you to count me among those who maybe think that to the extent to which we've been shut down was not necessary. Although I, I need to leave a door open to be wrong about that. But but now that we're into the fourth week and there are people out there who want you to think that there's no end in sight to it. 
What is the effect? By the way, what's the psychological effect when somebody, somebody like Dr. Fauci? Well, I can see a return to sports, but not with fans in the stands. How does that affect you psychologically? Does that does that inspire? Says, oh wow, we're getting ready to get back to. That's not getting back to normal. No fans in the stands. Yeah, I can see sports coming back, but with no fans in the. Uh, now, if all you're looking for is televised content of daily drama to which you don't know the answer until you watch it, which is what sports is, it's why it's so popular, then okay, you could be mollified by that. But it, it to me, it doesn't constitute a return to normalcy. And to people, so Rush, we're never going to go back to where it was. I understand what people mean by that, but I don't like the automatic concession that we're not going to go back to the way. The way it was wasn't bad. The way it was is not why we're in this situation. The way it was, we were in the middle of a roaring economy. Unlike many people had ever seen in their lives, there's no reason to not want to return to that. The, the normalcy of six weeks ago and a month ago and, 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 and two months ago, a year ago, there's nothing about that normalcy that led to this. There's no reason to want to avoid going back just six months ago, it was perfectly fine. Now, the Democrats don't want to go back to that because they were unable to stop Trump and the economy was roaring. And I, of course, do not mean that I think they're starting to unify. But let's just wait. As the president likes to say, see what happens. As the momentum starts to build. Look at this. There's a rally in Michigan right now against the Michigan governor's expanded stay-at-home order. More and more people are going to realize in more and more states that it hasn't been necessary. And maybe we had to live through it to find out it wasn't necessary. It'd be a dangerous prediction to say there, we don't need to shut down it. I understand a certain amount of this. There are certain states, like California, I guarantee you some people, California, we didn't need to shut down. We don't, we don't, the stats do not indicate this was necessary. People are starting to, you know, privately amongst themselves in their bathrooms. I don't think the government's surveilling them. Okay, so here's Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban on the Fox News channel today with Sandra Smith, America's Newsroom. She said to him, you're now going to be in a position to help President Trump decide when to reopen things. What's your recommendation? Is May 1st too soon? I really don't know. We're getting new data every day. What I really want to contribute is the fact that businesses really don't know exactly what to expect on the other side. There's so much uncertainty that by talking to everybody in each of the groups, I think the president can get a lot of great feedback on how businesses are approaching it. Because as much as safety is critical, we also have to see how businesses want to move forward. My focus right now is helping the president. My focus right now is helping the American people, helping particularly small businesses where I can. We all got to come in together. Unless everybody's a hero, nobody's a hero. I'm an American so patriot first. I'm an American first, and I I I want to I want to do what I can to help. My focus right now is helping the president. My focus right now is helping the American people. That not a whole lot of people outside the president's sphere are saying that. And and Cuban's not he's not been a noted pro-Trumper. Now he's on the sports committee. There's a hundred people on that committee. And 
it's a great honor to be on that committee, and they want to they want to make it worth their while. So I'm just saying that it's a positive. In in addition, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the it's just my instinct speaking. When I tell you I'm I'm sensing good that I'm I'm feeling optimistic about it's just, largely it's my instincts. I can find some evidence for you. But it's just largely my instincts. Now to flattening the curve, because I, I want to do this. So many people misunderstand what this has been about. And it contains a component that might make you mad. Now, the daily briefing each day for days and weeks has been focusing on flattening the curve. Social distance, you've got to keep doing what you're doing. What you're doing is working, staying at home, distancing yourself from your fellow citizens. It's working. You can see, they say, that we are beginning to flatten the curve, and they will show you the chart up the mountain, at the top of the mountain, and then on the way down the mountain. And as you go down the mountain, it flattens, and that is the flattening of the curve. Now, the reason that we were given for shutting down the U.S. economy was to flatten the curve. And, and, and we were told that flattening the curve is not going to make the virus disappear. And it won't. That's a very important thing. to Flattening the curve does not get rid of the virus. Herd immunity does more to do that than, than, than flattening the curve. You know, avoiding the virus, trying not to catch it, does not get rid of it. But catching it, developing an immunity to it, furthers the protection of people. But that's, an, that's, a, that's another subject. If the virus does not disappear during our yeoman efforts to flatten the curve, then what's going to happen when we eventually come out of our homes? Well, it could restart all over again. Virus, nothing's been done to stop the virus. All we've done is avoid it to flatten the curve. In fact, folks, and some of you might consider this a bit controversial, the result... The practical result of engaging in a policy of flattening the curve makes this epidemic last longer than it would. And the charts, the graphs, all show this. Now, you could be, well, what, 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 you mean? Flattening the curve prolong yeah, because we're just avoiding dealing with it. We're just we're kicking the can down the road by flattening the curve. We're kicking the can down the road with social distancing. We are avoiding the day that we have to deal with it. Now, if the health experts had their druthers, we would flatten the curve and we would social distance and we would stay locked down until there's a vaccine. Eighteen months. That's not doable. I don't care what the best intentions are. That is not doable. In flattening the curve as a policy, i.e. social distancing, locking down, staying at home, avoiding the virus, 
the same number of people are going to get sick and the same percentage of those people are going to die. Except, and here is the real point behind it. Social distancing, flattening the curve, was designed for one thing, to prevent overruns at hospitals, to prevent massive numbers of infections that required very sick people to go to the hospital and put pressure on hospitals, ICUs, emergency rooms that the hospitals couldn't handle. That's why we have been doing what we've doing. That we've been doing to, to avoid stress, to avoid overcrowding, to avoid chaos at the hospitals. Well, that never happened. The chaos at the hospitals on a nationwide basis didn't happen. The Centers for Disease Control estimates, if you do the math, that as of around April 4th, 41,000 people were hospitalized with COVID-19. That seems nationwide. That's awfully low because everybody was thinking, wow, this thing is going to wipe us out. Remember, 240,000 dead, 2.2 million people dead. The hospitals, they, they always kept the hospitalization numbers from us. They always kept the recovery numbers from us. Now, there's something out there called the COVID Tracking Project, and they peg hospitalizations at 62,000 as of April 13th. Now, without a context, John Hendricker is uh, Power Lines written about this. Without a context, those numbers don't mean anything. What is forty-one thousand hospitalizations based on what? What is sixty-two thousand hospitalizations based on what? Well, let's look at the flu. Let's look at hospitalization. Are you ready for some shocking numbers? Do you want to hear some shocking numbers? During last year's flu season, according to the CDC, 490,000 people were hospitalized due to seasonal flu. The year before that, 810,000 people were hospitalized due to the flu. The maximum number of projected hospitalizations with COVID-19 as of two days ago is 62,000. If we could handle 810,000 hospitalizations due to flu, if we could handle 490, 500,000 hospitalizations, then we certainly can handle 62,000 hospitalizations due to COVID-19. So there are the numbers in context. Uh, American hospitals have not been overwhelmed by the number of flu sufferers. Now, New York, you can find a pocket here or there. But in New York, all the override hospitals, the Javits Center, uh, Central Park, build-out, the Navy... Ships, none of them were necessary. They were handled, uh, the, 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 they were there to handle both COVID 19 and regular cases. COVID. Uh, folks, uh, the reason for flattening the curve never materialized to handle an overrun of hospitals. I mean, everything, if you just, everything is arguing that we could shut down, uh, we could reopen much sooner. 
than a lot of people think. We'll be back. Hang on. And we're back. We'll get to the uh, Chinese communist involvement in all this and a theory that's fascinating in a moment. But I want to get started on the phones. This Elizabeth on an overpass trying to get to Lansing in Michigan. Great to have you on the program, Elizabeth. How are you doing? What's up? Hey, Rush. It is awesome to talk to you. Mega, mega millions of dittos. Love you for 30 years now. Thank you. Um, I I drove to Lansing today in um, conjunction with thousands of other Michigan people who are fed up with our governor's draconian measures. She has shut down our state um, until the end of April, which we knew that's fine. Everybody's doing that. But then she added more of her ridiculous closures. For example, I can go and buy a lottery ticket and have an abortion, but I cannot buy seeds or plants to plant for food for the for the summer. She has closed off whole sections of Menards and Myers where we can't buy paint, we can't buy flooring for our homes, but we can go and we can get marijuana at the local weed shops. So we are fed up with it. The The economy in West Michigan is suffering, not simply because of the COVID-19, but because of our governor shutting us down yeah, uh, needlessly. I, I think your governor, uh, being a Democrat, has, has some problems. I, I think Democrat governors are being coached by uh, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer to push this harder than they might normally feel is appropriate. I think these Democrat governors are getting pressure from national Democrats to ratchet this up in hopes of making it look bad for Trump. I also think no governor wants to have happen in their state what happened to Governor Cuomo in New York with this massive overrun, this massive uh, number of, of cases. And so rather than focusing on where problems are. She's just taking the shotgun approach. She's just shutting down everything, making sure everything gets shut down so that what happened in New York doesn't happen to her. Uh, it's uh, lack of experience combined, I think, with uh, pressure from the from the Democrats. And I, I think a lot of these people are getting off, frankly, on the uh, newfound usages of power that they are discovering, including even some mayors, you know, one-way sidewalks for crime. Okay, that's it, folks. Another exciting, busy broadcast hour is in the cans on the way over to Limbaugh Broadcast Museum, virtual museum at RushLimbaugh.com. Now we have to take obscene profit time out here at the top. We'll be back here before you know it. Don't go away. Yeah, yeah, hang on, just reading something. Yeah, I'm going I've been going back and I'm looking at a bunch of a bunch of stories on flattening the curve and what the impetus behind them was and what the what the expectations being created were. Behind the flattening the curve story. Greetings, welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limbaugh, the EIV Network. A delight to be with you as always. And the phone number, if you want to appear, 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. Like, for example, here the New York Times, March 27th. Flattening the coronavirus curve. Why slowing the spread of the infection is nearly as important as stopping it. Except this wouldn't do that. 
That was always the illusion. Flattening the curve had nothing to do with stopping the virus. It had everything to do with prolonging the length of time it was active and viral. It was simply designed to keep hospitals from being overrun. And again, folks, these numbers... In context on the hospitalization, the maximum number projected hospitalizations nationwide to date, well, as of April the 13th, so a couple of days ago, according to the COVID tracking project, 62,000 hospitalizations of COVID-19 nationwide. Last year during the flu, and these are CDC, so these are government numbers, 490,000 people were hospitalized. In 2018, 810,000 flu hospitalizations. And we were able to handle it. There wasn't even a news story about hospitals being overrun in 2018 or 2019. So again, I know numbers are difficult to follow on the radio, because especially big ones. So let's, let's round them off. 490,000 hospitalizations last year because of flu. 810,000 in 2018. Projected total COVID-19, 62,000. The concept, the idea that our hospitals have been overrun. Now you might say, well, Rush, that's why we, the number is so low because, uh, because, uh, because flattening the curve worked. <laughs> Folks, long way to go. To make that statement, that that is that is not the it, it hasn't it hasn't been necessary. Let me let me read. Here's here's how John Hindrocker wrapped this up on his piece about this at powerline.com. Once again, government officials are making decisions with catastrophic effects on many millions of lives on the basis of models that have proved to be wrong. The shutdowns should end tomorrow, writes Mr. Hindrocker. So you put these hospitalization numbers in perspective, it's shocking. Now, I want to go back here. The New York Times, why slowing the spread of the infection is nearly as important as stopping it. Man, you talk about a disconnect because slowing the spread has nothing to do with stopping it. Slowing the spread extends the length of time that we have to deal with this. So here's how the Times says, what does it mean to flatten the curve? The ideal goal in fighting an epidemic or pandemic is to completely halt the spread. But nearly slowing it, mitigation, is critical. This reduces the number of cases that are active at any given time, which in turn gives doctors, hospitals, police, schools, vaccine manufacturers time to prepare and respond without becoming overwhelmed. Some commentators have argued for getting the outbreak over with quickly. It's a recipe for panic, unnecessary suffering and death, says the New York Times. Slowing and spreading out the tidal wave of cases will save lives. Flattening the curve keeps society going. Think of the healthcare system capacity as a subway car that can only hold so many people at once. During rush hour, that capacity is not enough to handle the demand, so people have to wait on the platform for their turn to ride. 
staggering work hours diminishes the rush hour, increases the likelihood that you'll get on the train, maybe even get a seat. Avoiding a surge of coronavirus cases can ensure that anyone who needs care will find a hospital. Well, we've just nuked that because if we can handle 810 hospitalizations with the flu and the, and the projected max number of hospitalizations for COVID-19 is 62,000, what are we doing? Keep in mind that flattening the curve was not about eliminating the virus. The point of flattening the curve is to prolong the epidemic, making it last longer than it would. And the charts and diagrams show this. Same number of people are going to get sick and die. It's just that theoretically the hospitals will not, not be overwhelmed. Okay. Now let's move on to the Chicom story because I have been uh, asked by a tremendous number of people. If I believe that the Chicom government did this on purpose, in other words, is this a bioweapon that was created somewhere in a lab that the Chinese Communist government deployed against its enemies to, in fact, create the circumstances under which we are living now? An economy shut down and in tatters. $22 trillion economy shut down. We did it ourselves. 16 million people and counting filing for unemployment. The federal treasury, federal reserve printing money left and right, which theoretically is going to create all kinds of uh, economic problems down the road. Now, I've resisted the idea that it was uh, done purposefully as a weapon until I've seen or saw some evidence to the, to the contrary. I think Chinese communists are capable of it. Don't misunderstand. And in my, in my rummaging around to try to gather information on this, I came across... A website called a diplomat.com, Asia Pacific website. And I want to read, I, I've not heard of the diplomat.com. Because when I haven't heard of a website, you know, a little, little uh, not suspicious, but I exercise even more care and caution that I'm not getting duped by a parody website or a phony baloney plastic banana good time rock and roll website. The piece is written by. Ben Lawson, L-O-W-S-E-N. And here's how the, the, the um, qualifier at the end of the piece is written. The views expressed in this story or in this column represent the personal views of the author and are not necessarily the views of the Department of Defense or the Department of the Air Force. So... Asia-Pacific website, Diplomat.com, related to the American military. And the headline of the piece, Did Xi Jinping Deliberately Sicken the World? And let me give you some pull-quote highlight. Mr. Snurdly, you are in the school of thought that believes this is a weapon. You do. Okay. 
at some point, again, Ben Lawson or Lawson, not sure how he pronounces. At some point, the Chinese Communist Party learned of the epidemic and made a decision to hide its existence. He believes that they didn't purposely weaponize anything. He believes that Xi Jinping and the Chicoms discovered what was going on in a lab or in a wet market, found out what this was, and made a decision to lie about it, to hide it, to pretend that it was nothing. We're talking last November and December. And, and Mr. Laos there gives them such a benefit of the doubt, he believes that Xi Jinping and his Chicom Politburo hoped the thing would go away. And that is why they made a decision to hide it. Exposés in the South China Morning Post newspaper in Hong Kong and in a Chinese mainland paper, state-controlled, show that the information did not flow out of China early in the crisis. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The, the South China Morning Post and the Chinese state-run paper show that the information did flow out of China early in the crisis only because of the courage of individual Chinese people in the face of government repression. This would be the doctors, the lab researchers who tried to warn everybody about it but were shut down. People in the Wuhan epicenter, however, began to get wise and scared because they saw what was happening to people. They were getting wise, they were getting scared by the end of 2019, December... And it was these people forcing their government to say something. So the authorities, the Chicoms, gave the impression of a non-transmissible disease already under containment. This is where the Chinese lied. Now, the writer of the story thinks they did this hoping it would go away. That They lied about it. They knew what it was. They decided to hide its existence. And when they did speak, they said it's non-contagious, non-transmissible, and that we've got it under control. We now know this was entirely false, likely designed more to ease civil unrest than to protect the people. Because protecting the people is never a concern with communist governments, and do not doubt me, I don't care whether you love AOC I don't care whether you love Crazy Bernie, you love Che Guevara or Castro. Communist governments do not care a whit about protecting the people. They do care about stamping down, tamping down, preventing civil unrest. And so it is highly likely that the Chicoms lied about this and said that it was non-transmissible and they had it under containment to make sure people didn't raise hell about it on the streets of Wuhan. Because if people had raised hell about it on the streets of Wuhan, that would have gotten out. Social media, phones, it would have gotten out. The Chinese communists would not have been able to suppress everything. The mayor of Wuhan even suggested that the central government prevented him from revealing details about the epidemic until January 20th. He knew all about it, but the Chicom government, Beijing, refused to let him reveal details. 
Considering that the first public announcement came out of Wuhan on January 1st, we can assume that Xi Jinping had a sense of the danger before that in December. We know he did. So clearly, downplaying the disease wasn't working. Saying that it's non-transmissible or non-contagious wasn't working because Wuhan was being devastated. So now it was time for the Chicom Communist Party to get serious. But how serious? Would they provide full cooperation to the international community? Would, would being seen as the source of the virus hurt their international image? This is what they think about. They did everything they could to hide the fact that this thing was theirs. They did everything they could to hide that it had a center that was Wuhan. And this is they didn't cooperate because they didn't want there to... They didn't want people to think there was anything to cooperate about. There is nothing to see here, was the Chicom attitude. Now, many of you still, okay, that's because they'd weaponized it, Rush, and they were, okay, if you want to stick with that, do so, but there's more here. There's a darker dimension. There always is when talking about communist governments. The more Beijing cooperated, the less the disease stood to affect other countries. This includes countries China sees as a threat to existence, its existence like the United States. So why would China suffer the effects of a pandemic while others stayed safe and increase their strength relative to China based on China's own costly experience. He's asking this rhetorically. He said, there is no way if this thing was real, if it starts in a lab in Wuhan, and if it is this deadly virus, his theory is there's no way the Chinese are going to allow this to stay in their country only. They're going to make sure they're not the only ones affected by it. Now, this is still a distance from creating a weapon on purpose. His theory again here is that it happened, however it happened, in a lab, the wet market. They tried to suppress it. They tried to ignore it. They tried to act like there was nothing to see here, not contagious, not transmissible. But when all that failed, because it was the exact opposite of what they were lying about, when they realized how deadly it was, the Chicom government made a decision that they weren't going to be the only country affected by it because that would lead to a vast economic disadvantage. If they were going to be hurt by this, then by golly, by gosh, other nations were going to be. Now, this theory, this is the way they think and act is inimical to human decency. But folks, they're communists. This is what, you know, we have not taught communism properly in the schools of this country for at least 30 years since the 1980s. And we have to consider that Xi Jinping and the Chinkom Politburo came up with a way to share the effects of this virus with everybody else in the world to make sure they were not the only ones damaged by it. The way it's written here, Xi Jinping has produced the greatest program of ethnic cleansing in the world today. He's curtailed freedoms in China severely. He's the father of the Panopticon state. His incessant military buildup threatens neighbors. 
while using economic and other subversive means to erode the sovereignty of countries around the world, we should not assume it was beyond his imagining to withhold a degree of support from the international community to ensure that China would not suffer alone. In other words, these are communists. They treat their own citizens horribly. They don't care. If something like this is going to wreck them, then they're going to make sure they're not the only ones that suffer either reputational damage. They don't want it thought that these viruses emanate originate in China. They don't want that. And they don't want any economic damage. So it's a fascinating theory. And I and there's more to it. However, we have to take an obscene profit timeout. So. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. Let me share with you how this piece is concluded by Mr. Lawson. He says, none of this can prove whether or when Xi Jinping made a deliberate decision to withhold information in order to imperil the world so that the damage suffered in China would be spread around. Can't prove it. However, as a longtime student of China, it is with great sadness that I have to concede that such a state and its increasingly paranoid leader, Xi Jinping, might very well provide less than full cooperation to stem the pandemic of the century in the crass pursuit of (laughs) court. Look, he's just covering his bases here. There is no way. I mean, this theory is extremely valid. Look, the only... A lot of people are going to think this guy's covered his ever. A lot of people do believe that this is not Xi Jinping discovering one day that there's this bad virus that might wipe out his country, so he's going to make sure it wipes out others. There are people who think that they concocted this thing in the lab on purpose for the exact reasons and purpose. In other words, a brilliantly conceived, flawlessly executed plan that we now see the results of. There are people that think that I... For those of you in the drive-by media, I'm not saying that because I don't know. I'm just sharing with you the theory of a CHICOM expert. And the theory, to me, resonates. It has a lot of ingredients that dovetail perfectly with how communists operate and how they think. How their number one objective in life is deceit. They lie to themselves and their people. The Soviet Union constantly told their own people that they were the dominant economic power of the world. And they, they, they do nothing but lie constantly to people. Anyway, get back to your phones after the break here. And I'll get to it in a minute. I want to get back to the phones. Six days that China did not warn the public of a likely pandemic. Chicoms did not warn public of a likely pandemic for six key days. Not Donald Trump didn't warn. Not Donald Trump didn't see. Chicoms. Before we get back to the phones, very quick, just one thing. I want to put all this in perspective for you. All this pretense out there. You noticed the pretense, the the left has dropped the pretense of the politics of the virus. They've dropped it now. They're making no bones about it that the virus has a political component and they are employing it. They've, they've, they, this always happens. In the outbreak of any kind of a national, 9-11, for a while, the Democrats can make people think 
that they are dropping politics and that they are unifying and treating this as a singular thing. But they can't. They're like they're like addicts to politics and they can't. They go into withdrawal if they drop their political agenda with anything. And such is the case with the virus now. They are in political withdrawal. They have dropped all pretense which is what they were doing. They were pretending that the virus was a standalone, had no political aspects to it, but they can't do that. So they are. So they dropped the pretense. They are now full bore, 1,000% full speed ahead on politicizing the virus. Attacking Trump on the basis of politicization of the virus. And here's why. They know that Joe Biden is not viable. Everybody knows. Do you know, did you look at that endorsement that Obama gave? Obama gives that endorsement at a time nobody would see it. And it was convoluted. It was like 10 minutes long. It it, it had no enthusiasm behind it at all. So here's the bottom line. Don't doubt me. The Democrats, the left, they know Biden is not viable. They know that Trump was on his way before all this to a landslide re-election. They also know this. They know that Trump's performance during this crisis has been good. They can't compete with it. They tried. They sent Chuck U. Schumer to try to do things. They had Biden on the air from his basement. They have tried to compete with Trump during the virus. They have used... Uh, various people, uh, quote unquote, on their payroll to try to diminish Trump. Even during the briefings, they have sent the press into the briefings with set up questions designed to impress. None of it has worked. Trump is carrying the day. He is dominating the day. He is dominating the news. And he's doing so within the realm of his campaign of 2016, make America great again. It's been handed back to him on a silver platter. You believe this? Everybody said, you're going to have to come up with a new slogan, Mr. President, for 2020. Can't go out there and say, make America great again. And yes, he can now. The American economy has been decimated. He alone seems concerned about it. There are a lot of other folks. Look, I'm only telling you what I see. The Democrat Party wants the shutdown to go on. It's how they benefit. It may sound outrageous for you to hear this, especially those of you new to the program. You can't imagine why anybody would would want to continue this pain. You got a few minutes. Why would the Democrat Party openly want almond borders? Why would the Democrat Party want To get rid of oil. Why would the Democrat Party want to penalize America as somehow responsible for pain and suffering in the world? The Democrat Party is not unified with anybody who wants to make America great. Now Trump, fascinating to me, has been handed on a silver platter his 2016 campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. He's got to do it again. He's got to revive the American economy again. He's done it once. Things that have happened once can happen again. The Democrats have never revived an economy. To expect them to be able to do it is asking for something to happen that's never happened before. Uh 
oh, don't want to go there. They know this. Brutal as it may sound, partisan as it may sound, do not doubt me, please. The Democrat Party and the American left know that a continued shutdown is the only means of destroying Trump's signature achievement. What is Trump's signature achievement? The historic, booming economy in three years. Trump created economic growth we haven't seen a lot of people in their lifetimes. Here comes the virus. Here comes the shutdown. Here comes the lockdown. The Democrats know that keeping America shut down is the only way of destroying Trump's number one reelectable achievement. If they were to succeed into shutting this country down into June, that would give us a, an economic shrinkage or constriction of 30%. And the effects of that would persist into the fourth quarter, which is when the election is. They would be demagogued to death. The status of the American economy then would be blamed a thousand percent on Trump, even though it would be not Trump who wanted to continue this. See, the old the old subtext of the November 2020 is no longer subtext. It's now the transparent left wing hope that Corona can do what Mueller and Schiff didn't do. Plain and simple, brutal as it may sound for you to hear, as strange as it may sound and as gosh you wish it weren't true, I'm telling you that as far as they are concerned, the Democrat leaders, Pelosi, Schumer, Comey, everybody, Brennan, everybody involved in this hoax to get rid of Trump, they are all hoping that this virus can do what Mueller and Schiff failed to do. The result is that literally all data, all issues, the real lethality rate, the real mortality rate, the rush to get antibody tests, the real occupancy rate of ICUs, the real numbers on all these categories, I believe, have been warped by the gloom and doom agenda. Optimism, based on real evidence... That the virus is being handled and looking more like a 2017 than a 1918 flu is seen as synonymous with defeat. And that's intolerable. One more time. Optimism based on real evidence that the virus is being dealt with, that we're over the world. The left is cringing when Cuomo talks about being over the, over the peak. They're cringing. The virus being dealt with. Being over the top, being over the over the, over the over the hump, getting on the weight on the downhill side, all of that terminology is seen by the left as synonymous with their defeat, and it's intolerable. Here is Doug in Winstead, Connecticut. Great to have you. And I'm glad you waited, sir. Hi. Hey, thanks. Hey, I just got to say, at the beginning of your show each day, when that great music starts, I catch myself recently saying, "Please be rushed. Please be rushed." <laughs> 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 so. Well, Russ, I'm a small business owner, and hey, um, awesome to be with you, Godspeed, for everything you do. Um, I'm a small business owner in Connecticut. I've been closed for just over a month now, non-essential. Um, and as a business owner, I believe we're smart people. I mean, we might not be able to operate with half our brains tied behind our back like you, 
but um, but um, we've been listening to the doctors for over a month. We know what to do. We um, I think as a as a group together on May first, we just all open our business, small businesses across the country. We stick to the guidelines. We take care of everybody and make a go at it. That's that's what I think we should do. You know, I've heard uh, I've heard others, uh, not not in phone calls to the program, but just in conversation. I've heard others discussing this uh, that it, it's something that people might eventually, like you said here, just take matters into their own hands. Stop waiting for the quote unquote permission from the authorities because it may never come. Right. And meanwhile, you can't go on this way. Nobody can. You. Th- th- this is this is not is not doable. So you 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 take matters into your own hands. Now, it, it works if enough people do it that it becomes impossible to penalize them all. But what well, if not? What if not enough? What, what if you do it, you're relatively alone, here come the authorities and they arrest you? I think, you know what, I think if, I think there's enough small business owners in this country that feel exactly like I do. I think, you know, I mean, up here, uh, we have our four Governors, you know the uh, the four horsemen, governors of the uh, Corona apocalypse, basically. You know, if we leave it up to uh, Cuomo and these guys up here, there's no telling when we'll be open. And like you say, if we, we there's no possible way we could go till June. Well, let me let me just share let me just share something while you were chatting there. I just saw I got CNN on on one of my monitors here. It's a job requirement. It's not by desire. And they got somebody on from Los Angeles, uh, Board of Supervisors, talking about the reopening. And uh, the the Chiron graphic's no longer up there, so I'm going to have to jog my memory for it. Something like, uh, pain, suffering, and misery await reopening in California. And so they, uh, major changes coming for American daily life until vaccine is the second headline. And maybe if I still have you there, they'll, they'll cycle through it. But it was a, it was a scare headline to make people not want to reopen in California. It was, it was designed to make viewers in California think it's not worth reopening. And this is being done purposefully by uh, Democrats who uh, work in the media. So you're going to have your work cut out for you, but I think, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people getting frustrated, pent up. Uh, and the uncertainty, the uncertainty. Yeah, there's a date out there that gets tossed around May the 1st, but there's not a date certain. And there needs to be, but there, there's more and more talk about it. And that needs to, uh, that needs to, I'm glad, glad you called, Doug. Thanks very much. Brief break, and we'll be right back. Hang on. All right, here is what I saw, ladies and gentlemen. This is the, um, this is the Chiron graphic that I saw at, uh, at scene. Of course, with a grim-faced Anderson Cooper. California reveals grim blueprint for life after reopening. Well, who the hell would want to go through that? Who would want a grim life? Let's just stay shut down, okay? Let's just stay shut down. CNN says, California says, grim blueprint for life after re- Can you believe this garbage? 
California reveals grim blueprint for life after reopening? Now, the maudlin-looking Anderson Cooper's guest here is somebody named Catherine Barger. She's the chairman of the L.A. County Board of Supervisors, the 5th District. She's out there. Oh, yeah, grim, grim blueprint for life after reopening. I don't know about you. That doesn't even occur to me. Life after reopening is a return to normalcy, or at least an attempt to. Life after reopening is getting back. It's, it's, it's what's natural. It needs to grim. Now, it it could well be. I didn't hear the segment, so this babe could have been sitting there talking about all of the new restrictions that are going to be placed on people in California. That could be the grim blueprint. What we're going to have to do to keep people safe. So we'll see what was said. In the meantime, we have Carla and Steve. We got two people on the phone in their car outside of Lansing, Michigan. I'm glad you called. Hello. Rush, I, I, this is hard for us to believe. We have loved you for literally decades. I found you in the Clinton years thanks to my husband. I was home raising four babies, four Rush babies. Wow. And literally, you were my friend through those sometimes lonely years while I was raising my children. And I have to tell you, they went through liberal arts colleges, and they're all still conservative, and it's because of you. Well, thank you very much. Made my day. I really appreciate that. We love you deeply. So, and Rush, you are in our family prayers every day. Yep, we love you. Thank you. So we're in the line here, Rush, and we're, we've got um, flags out the windows. Um, every single side street is crammed with cars and flags and honky horns and smiling faces. Uh, we aren't your typical protesters, as you can probably figure out. <laughs> but uh, we feel like our civil liberties are worth standing up for. We feel like the peak was April 4 here in Michigan. Well, um, good good, husband, good for you. Have your jobs been closed on you? Have you been shut down? Yes. My husband is, uh, his co- company has been partly shut down. Um, he's trying to keep it going. And it made it through the Obama years. It made it through wars. And we're just praying that he can make it through this time. Well, you see, um, one of the things I always say is that conservatives never join the protest march because they're too busy. They're out there working. Well, not now. Exactly. So now you've exactly. got the opportunity to go out there and join the protest march and you're doing it. We're doing it. Our kids are, are home, but they are watching their parents be rebels. So, <laughs> Rush, one more comment. About four weeks ago, it was a Friday afternoon. I had just left a meeting in a city south of here. The stock market had gone up 2,000 points. You were very, very optimistic that afternoon about a revolution taking place. The Masters was not going to be postponed. We're going to have World Series. We're going to have baseball. You said people will eventually get sick and tired of giving up their freedoms. It seems like we've finally gotten there in Michigan. Good. Yeah. Good. You know, people, people are initially willing to cooperate. If you tell the American people there's this evil thing out there that could wipe us out, here's what we need to do to stop it, and this is what you need to do to protect yourself and your family. Americans are amazingly compliant when told the truth about dangers They're amazingly industrious when told what needs to happen to overcome them. Well, that's the missing component here. Americans have been told to stay at home and sit down. That goes against the grain of what most Americans, and particularly entrepreneurs, 
um, and business creators, that goes against the way they spend their life and to spend their day. And it was only a matter of time before this um, uh, nervousness and boredom and feeling, wait a minute, this isn't right, began to seep into a lot of people. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you guys got through. I'm glad you held on. Thank you so much. And thank you again for all the prayers and the nice words. President Trump wanted a radio show, but he didn't want to compete with Limbaugh. This is in the New York Times today. No idea this story was coming. And it's out of, it's actually, it's okay, other than a couple of obligatory paragraphs. With half my brain tied behind my back, just to make it fair. Because fairness is what we're all about here at the EIV Network. I am Rush Limbaugh, meeting and surpassing all audience expectations every day. Great to have you here, folks. Telephone number is 800-282-2882. The email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. So I get up today, I'm minding my own business, bothering nobody, and I get, I get a note. Have you seen this? And I hadn't seen it. It's a story in the New York Times by a writer named Elena Platt, with two T's on there, Platt. And the headline stuns me. Headline is, Trump wanted a radio show, but he didn't want to compete with Limbaugh. The the subhead, President Trump, said he envisioned a show running two hours a day. And he would do it were it not for the risk of encroaching on Rush Limbaugh. You know, I would be more than if, if, if we're always looking for guest hosts here. If the president wants to guest host this program one day, we'd be happy to run an audition. I think there'd be nobody better to fill my shoes than Donald Trump. I've often said nobody could, but if anybody could, it would be him. Now, here's what the here's what the story says, and it's got a picture of uh, the president and me. At the Trump rally in Cape Girardeau last November, the night before the midterm elections. Well, it was in 2018, not last year. On a Saturday in early March, President Trump, clad in a baseball cap, strode into the Situation Room for a meeting with the Coronavirus Task Force. He didn't stop by the group's daily meetings often, but he had an idea that he was eager to share. He wanted to start a White House radio talk show. Can I make a brief... uh, I find it, once again, very pleasingly satisfying that a man who owns television wants to be on radio. I will tell anybody who listens how I believe radio can achieve more intimacy and therefore more persuasion than television can. I will tell anybody who listens that I believe that that pictures on television can actually, if used incorrectly, be a distraction from what you're trying to accomplish. A great radio program or great radio host is an expert at helping the audience paint their own pictures, which are not distracting. Great radio is not passive listening. It is active. If it's a good show, you're not doing anything else while you're listening to it. But with television, 
the vast majority of time TV's on, it's in the background. You're doing many other things while watching TV. Even if you're sitting on a sofa looking directly at it, you're still talking to somebody, you're reading your phone, your iPad, you're doing something. Very seldom, other than if you're totally engrossed in a movie or something, are you fully devoted to what's on the tube. It happens, don't misunderstand, but with a good radio show, nothing else gets in the way. But I, I, I find it fascinating. All of these successful television people and, and want to get into radio. Now, there's another reason why, too, that I will not discuss, but I happen to know exactly what it is. But it's not relevant in the president's case. At the time, virus rapidly spreading across the fruited plain, Mr. Trump would soon announce a ban on European travel. A talk radio show, Mr. Trump excitedly explained to the coronavirus task force would allow him to quell America's fears and answer their questions about the pandemic directly. There would be no screening, he said, just an open line for people to call and engage one-on-one with the president. Aha! Now we find out what the president is missing. He owns television, but he doesn't feel he has a two-way direct line to you. It's a it's an outgrowth of being somewhat frustrated at having everything he says mediated by the media, which is why he does as many live events as he can. But that Saturday, almost as suddenly as he proposed it, the president outlined one reason he would not be moving forward with it. He didn't want to compete with Rush Limbaugh. No one in the room was sure how to respond to this. Somebody suggested that hosting the show in the mornings or on weekends would steer clear of Limbaugh's schedule. But Mr. Trump shook his head, saying that he envisioned his show as two hours a day every day. And were it not for Mr. Limbaugh, the risk of encroaching on his territory, he would do it. One of the officials invited. I'm telling you, we can work this out, don't you think? The president wants to do that. He wants to come on and have. We'll let him do it. I won't even be if he if he if he wants to host it himself. He can do it. And if he wants to do it for two hours, that's what he said. If he wants to talk to you for two hours, he's welcome to come here and do it anytime. And at the same time, we can combine it with an audition. We could look at it as an audition, as well. Well, he lives right here, but he would have to violate social distancing to get here. You might have to take a trip to the White House to set up the technicals. We'll deal with that. We'll deal with that when it happens. One of the officials involved directly in the effort said it wasn't the first time Mr. Trump had discussed hosting a radio show from the White House. But if some of the room were unsure whether his proposal was a joke, they knew his deference to Mr. Limbaugh was not a joke. When it comes to the president's favored media figures, most observers tend to fixate on the Fox News lineup. Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, who's a very dear friend with the president. But several people close to Mr. Trump say in the midst of a pandemic, he has come to keenly appreciate the extent of Limbaugh's reach and the fact that his show, perhaps more than any other other source 
offers a real-time metric of how the president's decisions are playing with his supporters. Now, as multiple voices vie for the president's ear on the appropriate timeline for America's path to normalcy, Mr. Limbaugh is amplifying Mr. Trump's instinct for swiftness. And for the president, as well as much of his party, Mr. Limbaugh's affirmation remains a powerful motivator. Jason Miller, co-host of the War Room podcast, a former Trump communications advisor, said talk radio is still a powerhouse when it comes to Republican voters and the president realizes how big a powerhouse Rush is. The takeaway here, folks, and we're very flattered, but the takeaway, the thing to, to really take away here, you know, I, I love radio and I think it's, it, it, it's fascinating that so many TV people feel their careers are incomplete without giving radio a shot. Isn't that fascinating, Mr. Snurdly? And there's, there's some other... The story goes on for a while. Um, and talks about the current... I mean, I don't want to read the whole thing to you. It goes on for two or three more printed pages. And has some quotes from some, some other people. We, of course, have linked to it at, uh, at RushLimbaugh.com. Uh, before we get to the WHO business, I have an example of propaganda for you. know, yesterday, propaganda, the, the, the drive-by media was all upset that Trump's video montage of things that the media themselves had said. A bunch of Democrats in the White House, Democrat media people in the White House. Assuring people nothing to see here with coronavirus. It's not dangerous. It's not contagious. It's not transmitted. Nothing to worry about. All this because, you know, Trump, Saturday New York Times, runs a story on his lack of preparedness. He had to push back on that narrative. So he puts together this montage of media people telling their audiences it ain't no big deal. They claim that was White House propaganda. Let me show you what propaganda is. CNN. Carrying the water for the Chinese. CNN is nothing more than a cheerleader for China and its military. You want propaganda? I have it right here in my formerly nicotine-stained fingers, and it might repulse you. The headline of the story, China's People's Liberation Army Navy is controlling coronavirus and aircraft carriers' deployment proof. You know what the story is? This is a story about how the virus may have spread to American aircraft carriers, but not China's. China's doing so much better. The Chinese are so much smarter. The Chinese Navy is so much more equipped. The Chinese Navy is so much more competent. There aren't any cases of Nobody knows how many cases of coronavirus there are in the Chinese Navy because they lie about the numbers and the facts. Doesn't matter. Here's how CNN opens the story. A Chinese naval flotilla headed into the Pacific over the weekend. Evidence that the People's Liberation Army's done a much better job controlling coronavirus than the U.S. Navy. According to a story posted on the People's Liberation Army's English language website, they're sourcing the story the Chicom state-controlled media 
So in other words, Xi Jinping wrote a story about how much better the Chinese Navy is dealing with coronavirus, the U.S. Navy, and CNN runs Xi Jinping's story, praising it to the hilt as a legitimate source. The report said that the Chinese carrier was carrying out its operation while four U.S. Navy aircraft carriers were docked in Guam. U.S. Navy paralyzed CHICOM Navy on the oceans. CHICOM Navy superior to American Navy, CNN. Sourced to the Chinese People's Liberation Army. I'll take you back. Audio summit number one. This is me last Wednesday, one week ago on this program. Let me tell you this World Health Organization, folks. You know, Trump is talking about withholding money from them, and he ought to. They're a worthless bunch of globalists, just like the United Nations in mass is. The guy that runs the World Health Organization was put in place by Xi Jinping of China. And that is why this guy has been singing the praises of China from the get-go. This guy has lied to the world about the contagiousness of this disease. Whatever China has said about it, he has parroted it. We are the number one contributor or donor to the World Health Organization, like we are the number one contributor and donor to all of these globalist outfits. This guy is a scourge. This guy is a political apparatchik of the communist Chinese. He is not independent. He cannot tell the truth. We ought to fund and we ought to get the World Health Organization out of this equation. Now again, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have no reason to lie to you. I have no reason to be wrong when I could be right. I have no reason, in other words, to feed you misinformation. And I'm telling you that the guy that runs the World Health Organization is indeed a a parrot. He's a he's a puppet. Of, of the Chinese. He has his job because of the backing of the Chinese, and therefore he does his, he's bidding for the Chinese. He has, like CNN just did, a sickening story about the superiority of the Chinese Navy. He has carried the water for China on every assertion about this virus. He's assured people way back it was not China's fault, that it's not contagious, that nobody need worry about it. And President Trump has been livid about this ever since the preference for China became obvious, threatened to defund, and yesterday made the announcement that he is. Today I'm instructing my administration to halt funding of the World Health Organization while a review is conducted to assess the World Health Organization's role in severely mismanaging and covering up the spread of the coronavirus. For many of you who worried, and I don't know how many you are, but for those of you who worried that we were losing President Trump, that this, the coronavirus story was swallowing him up, that the, the expertise deep state was just overwhelming him, and that he had no choice but then to go along with all these people because he was simply outnumbered, outstrengthened. The fact that he announced yesterday and that the doctors didn't get a minute in yesterday's briefing, the fact that he defunded the WHO, threatened to, until they straighten up, unless they do, means you have not lost Donald Trump. He pulled out of the W, and it was justified, and it was valid. We've been throwing money down a bottomless pit that is working against us, like 
the Paris Accords were to work against us like the United Nations is essentially aligned against us with our enemies in the rest of the world. Trump and Trump alone, just like he redid NAFTA, just like he has changed the WTO, the World Trade Organization, he's now telling and just like he threatened NATO, unless they shaped up, we're not going to we're not going to foot the bill for all of you people like we've been doing. And they shaped up. This is vintage Trump. This is the guy you elected. He's not going to throw American money away. But more than that, he's not going to allow us to be made a fool of. So just as he pulled us out of the Paris Accords and pulled us out of the Iran deal. He's now said we're going to defund the WHO. We're not going to, we're, we're going to stop paying our share, which is the majority, unless they shape up and get rid of their current director. And, of course, the world is reacting in outrage. And CNN can't believe The globalists can't believe it. Donald Trump in the midst of the coronavirus is decent. This is exactly the Donald Trump that ran for office. It's exactly the Donald Trump who was elected. It is the right thing to do if your objective is to defend and protect the United States of America. And if your objective is to make it great again, then getting rid of these obstacles and ending the needless expenditure of money that does us no good, then this is your ball of wax. This this is something you can universally put your hands together and support. Be right back. Yeah, we can do it. We can do a town hall with the president on this program anytime he wants. Sure, we get clearance for it. We can do it noon to three for as long as he wants. He can have direct connect with you in the audience. You know, with with, with you know, not a bunch of. Bureaucrat experts up on the stage and certainly no journalists choosing the questions or uh, any of that. Now, we need to find a we need to find a way to do it. We'll do it in a different way than anybody's ever done town halls or any of that stuff. But I'm here making it known and I will call later too, but I'm doing it here making it known that this program is available. To the president, if he wants to audition, if he wants to use it for a town hall, if he wants to have direct connect with you, then we got it handled. We know how to do that. We do it each and every day. Where are we going next? Cortez, Colorado. This is Jim. Great to have you, Jim. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm just doing great out here, Rush. And I've been listening in the days prior to your visit to Fort Collins, Colorado. Wow, that would be Dan's bake sale. That's correct. But I want to tell you, I'm a, a geologist. I worked internationally, you know, all over the world in Afghanistan and in Central Asia. And I'll tell you, the Chinese are, they don't play by the same rules we do. I know. That's right. And, and we just finished uh, coming back from Iceland. And at the airport, this was in uh, January 19th, at the airport were a bunch of the Chinese in masks. Which is rather odd. You were at the airport. Where were the, Where was this? Reykjavik, Iceland. You were in Reykjavik, and and, a, and and there's some Chinese there traveling, and they were wearing masks. Right. We went to the Blue Lagoon, and the Blue Lagoon Chinese had something over their face in the water. And it was January nineteenth. You're saying is the date. That's correct. And so you're you're asking, what did the Chinese know, and when did they know it? 
Well, you know, I just observe. I mean, I've observed them all over the world, and they just don't play by the same rules. And it's just ridiculous. You know, I, I agree. But, but that doesn't even cover it. And I, I've heard people describe it that don't play by the same rules. That doesn't even cover that. Don't play the these people. It's and it's not just the Chinese communists. Communists must deceive. Communism is a lie. It it promotes utopia. It is a lie. Everything about it is a lie for which they must deceive people. It's it's way beyond they have a different set of rules. Yes, that's right. Welcome back. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network. The coronavirus has revived Donald Trump's 2016 campaign slogan, Make America Great Again. He gets to do it again. He's got to do it again. Don't you just love it? I happen to just love it. You know, many Americans are receiving an economic impact payment this week. Many more are anticipating getting one. Uh, sound by number 26. This is, remember I told you I saw on CNN uh, this uh, this story, the um, uh, grim life awaiting Californians after the lockouts lifted, after the shutdowns lifted. Well, here's the sound bite behind that. Here's what the grim future in California is, according to L.A. County uh, Board of Supervisors member Catherine Barger has been spoken to here by the grim-looking Anderson Cooper. Question, what steps are you taking now to ensure that L.A. County can meet these standards of misery? We are going to require anyone going out to uh, a market, pharmacy, any of the essential services that are still open are going to be required to wear a face covering or a mask. The idea of tens of thousands of people gathering in a stadium. Is that unlikely until there's a vaccine? It is unlikely. We may have limited capacity in each restaurant and ask them to limit the tables that they are allowing people to sit at and space between them. So things like bars, uh, nightclubs, gyms, what about that? That's way out there. That's probably low on the list in terms of what is going to be opened quickly. In other words, this woman... Catherine Barger from the L.A. County Board of Supervisors, 5th District. Don't expect to be having any fun. And don't expect to be enjoying anything. (laughs) To hell with that. Not as long as we're in charge. You're not going to be enjoying Jack. Huh. Bars, gyms, that's the hell with that. That's going to be so far down the list. You don't even want to think about that. Look, I'm here to tell you that your future is grim. Mr. Cooper, and that's why I'm here, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what she did. What about going to a baseball? Well, everybody's got to be wearing a mask, uh, covering of some kind. Unlikely that we're even going to allow that. What about uh, what about uh, restaurant? Oh no, no, no! I mean, we're gonna we're gonna limit tables. We're gonna we're gonna prevent people. Sitting close together, gonna have a lot of space in there. Nah, don't expect to be enjoying yourself. That's not what we're about at the L.A. County Board of Supervisors. No way. Chicago, this is Inga. It's great to have you with us on the EIB Network. Hello. Hello, Rush. How are you? Fine, thank you. 
Good. Well, I'm calling today because a story came out quietly in Chicago that our governor arranged for a purchase of PPE from China. And it went under the radar. And now, now wait, 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 wait. PPE, you mean masks? Yes, masks, gloves, all sorts of protective equipment. Uh, okay, and your mayor is the estimable JK, JP, JJ, whatever, Pritzker. Uh, yeah, he is the governor, yes. Go, oh, governor, I'm sorry. Yeah, right, governor, yes. governor, yeah. Yes, now, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I believe in a free market economy, but I wanted to get your input on this. I, I believe that lining China's pockets in the wake of everything that has been caused by China uh, really is a contradiction in terms. I agree. And um, we rightfully protect our workers, but what's the cost? What's I the agree. Justifiable trade-off. I agree. The reason that this has all happened, there are many reasons for it, and some of them, frankly, were well-intentioned. But over the years, there has been a push toward globalism as a political factor. And that, that has meant that powerful nations have had to take steps to assist less powerful nations to become strong economically. And so the uh, effort to be you know, spread the wealth and buy things from China, Bangladesh, Vietnam is not just buying from China. There's a lot of other places, too. Then there has been the uh, globalist push that has recognized that if for globalism to really manifest itself, the United States has to be taken down a peg or two in terms of economic power. It cannot be as dominant because we don't want the United States to lead the world. We want a separate government to lead the world that's rooted in Europe, not the United States. So we've got to take them down. And there have been a number of Americans who have agreed with this premise. Then you add to it the fact that the, uh, however it happened, manufacturing base and many things left America for cheap labor, cheaper labor prices. And not just in China, but Vietnam and India uh, a number of other places over the course of a number of years. And during all of these years, I just have to say, there's been one guy warning everybody that we're being screwed. There's been one guy warning everybody that we're being cheated. And there's been one guy warning everybody that our leaders are stupid to have done this. And it's Donald Trump. All the way back in the early 90s and in the early 2000s, before he ever became or thought to become a candidate, whenever you saw him interviewed about anything, he would bring up China. He's been he's really a singular voice trying to warn people about China. And as he got, as he campaigned, he campaigned on the same premise, got elected in the same premise, and, and has, he got into a, a kerfuffle yesterday with some people in the press over over things like this, and he kept talking about how he's getting even with China. You could tell that there was a disconnect in the room. Trump was talking about how, through trade deals and tariffs, the Chinese are now promising to buy American, and that they're sending, he kept throwing the number, 250 billion, they're buying this, and they're buying this for 250 billion. Now, Trump believes that people should be overwhelmingly impressed by this and proud of it because it represents a, 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 a draconian turnaround in Chinese-American policy. 
the press sitting in there is clueless. They don't understand what he's talking about. To them, $250 billion doesn't mean it. It's not a, it's not a big amount of money when talking about world commerce. And so they see Trump as just bragging about something that's meaningless. He's trying to tell them that he has turned the tables and the Chinese are now paying us. They are promising to buy from us and our farmers and so forth. And that we are exacting uh, all a mild form of reciprocity because now it's a two-way street, not just a one-way street. And he thinks it's a good start. And he thinks the tariffs with with China have, have already been productive. And I can tell watching the briefing that the people in that room that he's talking to literally don't get it. They don't understand why it's such a big deal, 250. He'll sit there and he'll say the Chinese are now spending billions and billions on America. They're buying billions and billions and billions. And the looks on the press corps faces are just empty. They don't get it because they don't get the problem to begin with. But he always uh, he always has. The problem with Chinese uh Components. Do you know? Do you know how much of our antibiotic base comes from China? It is staggering. Medicine, I mean, how much of our antibiotic medicine, the prescriptions that you call your local drug pusher, up, uh, sorry, pharmacy. A lot of these things come from China. More than you would know, and something has to be done about it. And it's all wrapped up in the slow evolution of American manufacturing transferring to Mexico and, and China, where, where, India, where, the, where the labor uh, has, been, has been cheaper. And this is, by the way, it's concomitant with people supporting illegal immigration. Get people in the country that don't have a bunch of big demands economically. They just want this, a little bit of work for nothing. They'll do things Americans won't do. They'll vote Democrat as a bonus. Transferring American manufacturing overseas and replacing that work and that tax base with a bunch of potential Democrat voters that are basically going to be uh, a, a permanent underclass. That, that's Democrat Party Politics 101. Oh, I just saw the busy broadcast clock. I have to take a break. And that's it. Fastest three hours in media demonstrated yet again. I know you're sad. I know you're disappointed that it's over. Because you always want more. And that's the MJ. We always end the program leaving you wanting more. And you'll get more. There'll be more tomorrow when we get back here. Same time, same place. It's always appreciated that you are here. Never taken for granted. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. Revved and ready to go. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.